Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid. This is a pre-recorded show that we did with Dr. Joe Dispenza on Thanksgiving Day, him giving very generously of his time. Dr. Dispenza studied biochemistry at Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey. After he received his Doctor of Chiropractic at Life University Atlanta, he did some postgraduate training and continuing uh, education in neurology, neurophysiology and brain function. Dr. Dispenza has authored several scientific articles on the close relationship between brain chemistry, neurophysiology and biology and their roles in physical health. Today he's going to be discussing with us the connection between the mind, the brain and well-being. Welcome, Dr. Dispenza. Pleasure to be with you. Where did you begin this journey? I mean, there's a bit of a leap, isn't there, between biochemistry and the way the brain thinks? Well, I've always been interested in human potential. I think that everybody secretly believes that they can do a better job in their life. And when we address human potential, I think it transcends religion and culture and it transcends gender and transcends all the reductionistic points of view that separate us. And Mm. if we look at just our secret beliefs that we can do a better job in life, um, I think that you, you have to ask greater questions. And with greater questions, of course, came my interest in finding greater answers. (laughs) So where did that lead you? Well, interestingly enough, I had a a bike accident in 1986. I was run over by a truck in a triathlon and um, wound up breaking six bones in my back and Mm. had had, uh, some bone fragments on my spinal cord and was never supposed to walk again. And Mm. they were the medical... um, model for that type of injury but with multiple compression fractures is typically uh, a surgery called Harrington rod surgery and so oh, yeah. they wanted to put Harrington rods in my spine from the base of my neck to the base of my spine and of course uh, I couldn't rush into that um, <laughs> very wise <laughs> uh, but you know I was I was facing um, uh, uh, paralysis and I was mm-hmm. uh, facing a lot of uh, uh, problems in my life and, and as a result of the injury and you know after four you know uh, opinions from four of the leading surgeons in Southern California I decided against the surgery and, and I basically thought that if I could you know develop a relationship with this same intelligence that's keeping my heart beating and digesting my food and you know filtering liters of blood every single you know hour and um, making cells, hundreds of thousands of millions of cells every second, if I could just begin to interact with this mind, this intelligence, and and begin to give it some directions and give it some, you know, a template, give it, you know, something to follow and then surrender to it, maybe it could do the healing for me. And, and um, after a couple of weeks, uh, I started to notice some pretty dramatic changes, so I knew that I was on to something. And uh, after nine weeks or so, I was uh, back on my feet and uh, in ten weeks back in my office seeing patients. And, of course, Mm -hmm. the um, prognosis at the time was, you know, that I would be, Mm -hmm. you know, paralyzed. And then, of course, if I wanted to try something alternative, I'd have to wear a body cast. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, I... I um, I call it pointing the bone. My listeners know a lot about me knowing, (laughs) telling them about pointing the bone. (laughs) So anyway, it just it got me on the. I, I made myself a promise, and the promise was, if wow. I was ever able to walk again, I'd spend the rest of my life studying the mind-body connection, wow. and what I've done. 
Yeah. Incredible. So that was your pact, huh? Yeah. Yeah, pact with God, huh? <laughs> you hear about that, you know, you do, you do hear about that with people that uh, do great works. At that point, had you actually had any training of your mind? I mean, what, what gave you that paradigm? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I was, uh, when I was in uh, graduate college, I, I uh, had the opportunity... This is graduate college from biochemistry or chiropractic? Uh, no, chiropractic. Uh-huh. I, I was fascinated with the idea of hypnosis, and mm. I had two roommates in undergraduate school when I studied biochemistry who was, they were both sleepwalkers and sleep talkers. Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> I, I got very interested in the subconscious mind, and so when I got to uh-huh. um, studying on graduate level, uh, I, I went to a, another institution and, and got um, certified and licensed as a hypnotherapist and, and wow. uh, had a private practice in hypnosis um, all through uh, uh, my training and, and uh, found it fascinating. I saw you know rashes that were on people's bodies disappear uh-huh. in you know, 30 minutes and... Um, Allergies go away, and and uh, smokers quit, and in, in, uh-huh. you know, twenty-year smokers quit in in, in an hour. So I, I knew the power of the subconscious mind. I just hadn't really applied it to my own personal life. So I I, uh, I reasoned at that time that that if I could just develop a relationship with this mind, the same way you develop a relationship with a family member or a dog or a pet or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, to, to take time and to interact with it. So. I had nothing else to do. I went from, you know, a very fast-paced life to being laying, you know, laying face down and, and not doing anything. Mm. Uh, so I began to, you know, I began to work. I began to work on myself. It gave you the break, literally. It, it really did. <laughs> yeah. Getting run over by a truck generally tends to do. Yeah, sometimes the you, universe has. You give a lot of meaning to a lot of sayings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess it's like being in a float tank, really. Same thing, yeah, same deal. You, you've got nothing much else to do. All sensory input starts to settle down, although you would have had a lot of pain to deal with at the same time. Yeah, there was a lot of pain and there was a lot of, um, you know, I, I, what I, when I made the decision to not have the surgery, I decided that I wouldn't look back. So, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened was, was that the people in my life that cared about me and loved me, mm were telling me sell your practice, you know, they were they were giving me instructions as if I wasn't going to be able to walk again and I couldn't mm-hmm. sell my practice. I couldn't agree mm-hmm. with anything that they were saying. As a matter of fact, at that moment I realized that I couldn't let a thought go by unchecked. Wow. So it was tedious. It was extremely tedious in the beginning because mm-hmm. I got clear on my outcome, but then I was amazed yep. how many thoughts how much? Or, how many limitations? Yeah. Yeah. How many, how many thoughts were undermining my actual intent? Mm-hmm. A couple, after a couple of weeks, when I when I worked and began to um, visualize and, and and rehearse mentally a new way of being and a new way of living and and reconstruct my mm-hmm. spine. After okay. a couple of weeks, uh, I was able to reconstruct every single vertebrae uh, without my mind wandering to anything else. Uh. Okay. The only way I can describe that feeling... Focus and attention, right. ...was complete attention. And, and yeah. When I was able to do it without and a my mind... focus of attention, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And, and if, you know, it took me about two hours in the beginning to reconstruct, you know, the thoracic 8, thoracic <laughs> 9, thoracic 10, thoracic 11, thoracic 12, and first lumbar. It took You're me faster now? 
<laughs> you don't want to get hit by another truck to test that one. Well, I could actually, <laughs> could actually draw those vertebrae upside down and backwards. But wow. when I did it right, when I was able to make it all the way through without my mind wandering to another thought, when I finished it, it felt like I hit a tennis ball in the sweet spot. I, yeah. I hit a golf ball just right. There was a, yeah. there was a sensation that was uh-huh. really strong. And, and I, knew that I, I knew that feeling was the right feeling. And um, I wouldn't open my eyes until I was able to, to, to have that feeling come up. And if my mind wandered halfway through, I'd start all over again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Start beginning again, because I wanted the subconscious mind to get a very clear signal. Yes. Okay, so it's like reverse feedback. It's well, like, it's, it's like your, your forebrain or your, your... Well, we'll discuss that next, I guess, but it's like controlling your subconscious which doesn't right. which doesn't normally happen, right? It's normally your automatic sort of right, right. Section. It has a different program, so I had to yeah. get that. Program. It may have a different program, hey, but you want alignment, right? Yeah, yeah, got it. You, I mean, you have studied quite a bit the neuroanatomy, haven't you, of the brain? Yes, yes. My, you know, I have a degree in neuroscience now. Yes, I went back to school and. <laughs> And You've done that a bit too. That's that's that, a bit of a habit. <laughs> yeah, and I don't mind ever stop learning. <laughs> that's right. No, that's that's the signal that something's really really wrong with Joe Dispenza, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I like you a lot. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> that helps, eh? <laughs> yeah. I guess that's why you reconstruct thoracic vertebrae. Well, as a start, I mean, I, I yeah. never really think about that injury anymore. I mean, it's, no, but I mean, you liking you a lot is a good reason to do this. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that's I, the one thing to get straight. <laughs> Sometimes in the subconscious, we have other things running, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And I find in disease, that's pretty important, huh? Well, you know, we can talk for hours about how people manifest disease, but that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, yeah, it's a self-hate sort of sort of process in some department gets more specific so when you do your you're you're also a, a neuroscientist and researcher yes? yes yes yeah so you study brain function quite a bit yeah my my interest mm-hmm. is really functional brain scans that's what i love. okay now what is a functional brain scan because this is kind of new technology huh it's something that we used to just have cat scans mris now we have these other scans that maybe we don't have such an understanding of so maybe if you could have a little talk with us about that research and what's involved sure so like 20 years ago if you had a problem in your brain and you went to a physician the physician would take a CAT scan or an MRI of your brain, and uh-huh. that's kind of like a snapshot of the brain. You're yep. looking at anatomy. You're looking at parts. You're looking to see mm. if things are missing, if, if something's growing in there that shouldn't be there. Mm. You're looking at parts and pieces in a snapshot. A static moment in time. Right, in a mm. moment in time. Now, mm. with a functional scan, mm. when, when, you, when you look at a functional brain scan, you're looking at the brain in action. You're looking at the brain in work. Mm-hmm. at work. And when you look at the brain in action or the brain at work, that's called mind. Mind is the brain at work. Okay. So when, when you look at a functional scan, you're seeing a motion picture of the brain. Mm-hmm. And a motion picture of the brain, uh, when you're seeing the action of how the brain is functioning, you're able to then distinguish between different states of mind. For example, we know that there's at least six, maybe seven different types of attention deficit disorder. There's definitely patterns with people that have 
cyclic mood disorders. There's, mm-hmm. there's absolutely a correlation between anxiety and depression and what it looks mm-hmm. like on the brain. Okay. And, and so it allows us to see trends and to see patterns. Mm-hmm. And the beauty behind that is, is that it be, brain science has finally become a science instead of a soft science. Because if you look at enough people with enough conditions and you're able to see a correlation, and uh, then mm-hmm. you can see how the brain is functioning, and then if you would choose to administer a medication, if you choose to administer a nutritional supplement, if you choose to go about a certain therapy, um, and then you rescan the brain, that's called science because then you can see how the brain has changed and you know it's actually working instead of guessing like, oh, you're depressed, here, try this pharmaceutical and see if it works. But mm-hmm. in fact, it, you never know unless you look. And so brain scans give us volumes of information about this concept called mind. Mm. And what do we find about the difference, say, between doing cognitive behavioral therapy and giving an antidepressant in terms of, is there any studies on, you know, initial effect and then long-term effect? I guess what I'm getting at here is remodeling of the brain. Yeah, it's a great question. Cognitive therapy changes functional brain scans. It changes the mind. Okay. And what about antidepressants? Antidepressants tend to change functional brain scans, but the problem is is that if the person isn't working on changing their mind cognitively, when they come off the yes. pharmaceutical, there's a stronger possibility that they'll become depressed again or that they'll have anxiety mm-hmm. again or that they'll have a phobia. Okay, because so, the pathway hasn't been forged to continuously remodel. I think this concept of remodeling is something perhaps we should, we should uh, discuss. Okay. So remodeling, what... I'm beginning to understand, and I think this began perhaps with Candace Pert's work on molecules of emotion, is it that when we create pathways, initially it may take a lot of willpower, but eventually those pathways will become the automatic pathway? Yeah, well, you know, basically we're, as a personality, as an identity, uh-huh. human beings are neurochemical. Uh-huh. We have a chemical component to us because every time we have a thought, we make a chemical. Uh And that chemical then signals the body for us to begin to feel Uh exactly the way we were just thinking. So if if Uh you're feeling happy in a matter of seconds, your brain makes a chemical that signals your body so that you begin to feel happy. Uh So this etheric thing called thought turns on uh, a certain set of circuits in the brain that makes certain chemicals that make you feel joy. And then as we begin to feel the way we think, we begin to think the way we feel. So mm. as you're feeling joyful, you're more, more prone to think joyful thoughts. And this mm. cycle of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking is what entrains the body or mm. conditions the body to produce a personality trait. So the person then says for 20 years, if they lived in unhappiness or if they lived in insecurity, those chemicals then signal the body for them to feel unhappy, and then they begin to think the way they feel and feel the way they think. Well, that thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking it solidifies a personality trait so that feeling becomes the means of thinking. Mm. That's how we define a personality. Personality mm. is defined by how, they, how we feel. Mm. Now, when that person decides to change, because uh, they can declare they want to be happy, but if after 20 years they've been enslaving the servant called the body to have a different agenda, then mm. change becomes very difficult because they can't think greater than how they feel. Mm. Now, mm. so that chemical component... That's kind of related to Pert's work in terms of beginning to have the body and the mind work together. Mm. The neurological component of that basically says nerve cells that fire together, wire together. 
That's hmm. a concept in neuroscience developed by Donald Hebb, who's a Canadian psychologist. And what it really means is if you keep thinking the same thoughts mm. in the same way and you mm. keep behaving in the, same, uh, uh, in the same protocol or performing the same actions, you're going to wire your brain equal to how you think and how you act. Now, mm. that then gives us a personality element to ourselves. So how is it that we change then? To change then is to begin to think and act differently in the same circumstances, to think and act greater than the environment, to think and act greater than how we feel. Mm. And that takes an act of will. Yeah. However, neuroscience says that if you're able to do that, that the brain will reformat itself and we can actually make new chemistry to begin to recondition the body and begin to forge new circuits. Mm. And that, that will is a matter of, I guess, that's where you begin. I have will. I have the willpower to do this. <laughs> yeah, the problem, though, is that, as we mentioned earlier, that you know, 20 years of... Uh, living and suffering, for example. Yeah. A person yeah. says, jeez, uh, I'm unhappy, I've suffered for 20 years, yes. now I want to be happy. So they can yeah. consciously declare that they want to be happy. Yes, exactly. But the, the cycle of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking yeah. has conditioned the body to be the mind. And when, mm-hmm. whenever we have the body as the mind, that's called a habit. Mm-hmm. So the person's mm-hmm. in a habit of being uh, unhappy or suffering. Mm-hmm. But then to, the next day they say, no, no complaining, no blaming, no making excuses, no feeling sorry yeah. for yourself. I'm going to stop all of this, you know, all of these undermining thoughts and actions. Mm. And then they start off with really good intentions, but mm. then about an hour later they're on the couch with the remote control feeling sorry for themselves. Yeah, you know, watching sad like, movies, finding yeah. all sorts of evidence why they should be sorry for themselves. How did, that they, one? How did that happen? <laughs> exactly. How did they attract that in? And the truth is, is that that in order to change is to pull the mind out of the body and to put it back in the brain, and that's the act of will. Yeah. And so a person has to begin to realize that, that they have to, the body has become the mind, and when we begin to interrupt that chemical signal to the body and the neurological signal to the body, the body is going to try to con- convince the mind yeah. to do things that are familiar. And, yes. and that's why we hear those voices in our head and that chatter. To it's sort of, of like an addiction, isn't it? It's totally an addiction. Yeah. And the greatest habit we have to break is the habit of being ourselves. Yes. <laughs> well, if we want to. Yeah, I mean... Which, if you've been hit by a truck, you do. Yeah. <laughs> why do we have to wait for a truck? Oh, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Or wait to, wait to get the prognosis that you've got three months. Right, right. That's sure as hell when people start to change. Sure. So this emotional addiction, uh, which I think is what you call it, you discuss in a new book that you've written, Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I, I've spent a lot of time studying emotional addictions, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, my definition of addiction is something you can't change. So mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. feeling low or you're feeling un, unhappy, and someone mm-hmm. says, come on, let's, let's do something, and you can't come out of that resting state, mm-hmm. more than likely you, you're addicted to your own chemistry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It sort of feels familiar? Yeah, not only familiar, mm-hmm. but it, even though it's, it actually feels good, right. it's bad for you, it begins... Yeah feel good right and what's that feel good factor of feeling lousy of feeling sad feeling miserable i mean that addiction where does that come from well you know we as a personality as an identity we always like to reaffirm ourselves as a somebody okay so the ego to feel like a nobody is is a very difficult thing for the personality so and yet to change you have to be a nobody yeah you have to get lost i call it so 
Yeah, so, I so often have patients who, who say to me, I feel really lost. And I go, lost, yeah, okay, great. And they go, yeah. you mean you don't want to put me on antidepressants? And I say, no, lost is great. <laughs> yeah, at least, at least you're not familiar, right? So, yeah, you got to that bit. <laughs> it's a reaffirmation of the personality. So we, we, we tend to hold on to the known because the unknown yep. is so frightening. Yes, exactly. And that fear is what knocks us off our perch, yeah, to go back to right. blame so you, and... Or you, you have a, you're in a relationship that totally yes. undermines you, but you go back to it because at least it feels good or it feels... Or the different. same type of relationship, so you've got yeah, someone I, to blame, yeah. Right. Okay, right, got it. So how do we go about actually shifting... I mean, how do you go about summoning up that degree of willpower to actually create the healthy situation that you want? Well, the first thing is you have to learn information. You have to learn knowledge. Okay. And where, where every, do you suggest that people learn that knowledge? Well, every time... Well, first of all, learning is making new connections in the brain. And, okay. And, and every time we learn something new, we're, we're actually making the brain work in new sequences and new patterns okay. and combinations. So I always instruct people that the first step is to learn things because that becomes the raw materials. And then to begin to look and... and, and, and uh, um, perceive life in a different way. Mm. And then after you learn, the next thing is, of course, is self-inquiry. You have to begin to ask yourself, what would it be like to be happy? Mm. Who do I know in my life that's a happy person? Mm. What would I have to change about myself in order to be happy? Mm. You know, where do I fall from grace during the day and why? Mm. Who pushes my buttons? Who in history do I admire that I want to be like? I call those frontal lobe questions. Right. Now, if you wait for an answer, instead of turning on a television or getting on the computer <laughs> or jumping on the phone, yeah. you actually sit and you wait for an answer. Yeah. Okay. Your brain will begin to, through the frontal lobe, begin to forge new circuits and new combinations and new sequences and new patterns. You'll literally make a new mind. And there's been enough research in neuroscience that says that if you play the piano, if you, if you yes. learn scales and chords on the piano and you never knew how to do it before, if you practiced for two hours a day for five days, you would grow new circuits. Yes. You took another group of people and you had them close their eyes mm -hmm. and imagine they were playing those scales and chords. They would grow the same circuits. Yes, and I love that research. Yeah, so what it basically says is that we can change our brain by thinking, and when we're truly focused, yeah. the brain doesn't know the difference between what's happening out there and what's happening inside. So yeah. to begin what, to do what I call mentally rehearse, plan a new way of thinking, plan yeah. a new way of acting, plan yeah. a new way of being uh, would create a new mind. Yeah. Well, what we're saying basically is that thinking creates the lineup or the, the blueprint on which the chemicals and the structure base themselves. Right. It's the, it's the platform to stand on. Yeah. It's the, it's the set, of, set of drawings, if you like, that comes before the building. Mm -hmm. mm. But it's mm. not enough to stop there. You can, no. First step is to rehearse who you're going to be. Second step okay. is actually to get up. Mm -hmm. And then demonstrate that in your life. To okay. Teach the body. Reinforce it. Right, because the body mm -hmm. has to learn what the mind has thought about. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then can you begin to act and behave differently in yeah. the same circumstances? If yeah. you can, then you're thinking greater than your environment. And that's yes. all change. Well, you're creating your environment, yeah? Exactly. Because the world is a reflection of you, huh? Right. And if you can mm -hmm. do that rehearsal, mm -hmm. then your brain is actually ahead of the environment because mm -hmm. it's already wired. Mm -hmm. Now it's, re it's, it's wired in a way that the brain is no longer organized equal to the environment. Mm. Now the brain is organized ahead of the environment, and that's mm. when the change 
change and the unique things in the quantum field begins to respond and mm. have flow and synchronicity and mm. all that fun stuff that mm. happens as a result yes. of the creator. Yes, yes, the lightness and the joy. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is known. Uh, there's a lot of scientific research now to back it up. Is your book a collection of some of that? My book is a lot of science about okay. change. Okay. And, you know, we have three brain systems in place that allow us to go from thinking to doing to being, and that's the basis of my work, to teach people how to go from not just philosophizing but actually yes. applying and then yes. apply it to be able to repeat the experience so that it hardwires it. Yes. When you have all three brains working together, you know, when you have the mind and the body working together, the heart is open. When you have all three mm-hmm. brains working together, mm-hmm. now you have the power of the universe behind you. That's when you're congruent. That's when there's orders that are consistent. And that, that's when nothing in your environment can disrupt your internal state. And that's called mastery. Mm. So my book is about the process of going from thinking to doing to being, my research into spontaneous remissions, and a little bit about um, how disease is created and then ultimately how we can begin to make our own changes. I, I don't understand the concept of the three brains. Well, you have a neocortex, which is your thinking right, brain. Right, And you have the limbic brain or the animal brain or okay. the chameleon brain. That's the, what I call the doing brain. That's okay. the chemical brain. And then you have what's called the being brain, and that's the cerebellum. So okay. three different brains packed into one. And most people... You know, when they when they want to change, they yeah. they never integrate all three of these brains. And, okay. And, and when they work together, life gets real easy. Yes, because your your reactive sort of element is your primitive reactions are in line with your higher functionings. Yeah, and while the primitive reactions tend to become more retired yeah. as change, the the beauty behind um, the the for me the model of the three brains is that when you actually personalize or demonstrate what you've been rehearsing and thinking about, that new experience when you modify your behavior has a new emotion. And that new emotion then begins to signal the body in new ways because, in fact, it's the, it's the limbic brain then that begins to condition the body so that it has a new um, blend of chemicals. Yeah, particularly and, hormones, yeah? Yeah, mm. and so... Now you have two brains working together, mm. but it's not enough to just practice compassion one time no. and then call yourself a saint. Mm. You have to be able to repeat that experience. You have to have the paradigm that compassion is good for you, yeah? Right. Well, that takes place in the thinking brain, but yeah. then in the being brain, okay. you have to be able to demonstrate it consistently, and that's okay. when you get that third brain working for you. Yeah, so that's when you actually start making the chemicals that are associated with that. Which we now know are really associated with good health in terms of their effect on the immune system, etc. Yeah, there's there's tons of research to show that just joy yeah. and laughter yes. turns on genes. Yeah, uh, part, um, the laughter doctor was was absolutely the forerunner of this, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. he's, he's like twenty years ago. Norman Cousins, right? Yeah, uh, Patch Adams. Oh, Patch Adams, right? Yep, he's a real live person, and he just went out there and did it. 
And what I find brilliant, I think um, uh, there was some mention somewhere in one of your sort of blurbs about you, (laughs) so you can verify this, (laughs) that uh, to go to areas where there is a lot of uh, chaos and difficulty and be an example of what we're talking about is a very important use of this type of work. Well, if you think about it, um, the environment usually causes us to think. Yes. You know, when we're living responding to the environment, the, yes. the environment that's activating circuits in our brain yes. causes us to think equal to the environment. And if yes. long as we're thinking equal to the environment, yes. there isn't anything new happening in our life. If we yes. believe our thoughts have anything to do with our destiny, if we're responding and reacting to the environment, we keep creating more of the same. So no wonder in a war zone they go on for quite a long time, as we've seen in Iraq and Afghanistan and Vietnam, right. and yeah, people get yep. into that way of thinking. It's all the same because it's all yep. survival. If you're able to create a new idea of self, yes. ideal, yes. Yes. and begin to practice it and rehearse it, yes. until your thinking is greater than the environment, then yes. you would want to be in the midst of chaos. Yes. It is chaos that then defines how yes. well your mind is, is changed. Yes, yes, precisely. But it's also having an effect on the environment thereby. Absolutely. Yes, and that's the great hope for me of this work. It's not just personal healing, it's healing on a much broader level and those of us that are privileged enough to practice it are really uh, have a duty of care to instigate it in, in that we, we will affect a greater change by doing so. Well, I hope we are. Yeah. Well, no, you think we are. So do I. <laughs> Let's face it, that's what creates. I'm happy to say that the evidence is actually showing up. So. Yeah, I agree entirely. It's becoming much more hopeful. Yeah, no doubt. So what's the title of your book? Well, the book that I, uh, that's been released is called Evolve Your Brain. Okay. The Science of Changing Your Mind. Okay, and how can listeners get a hold of that book if they choose? Uh, you can go to my website, okay. com, or you can go to Amazon. You can contact Nibbana, N-I-B-B-A-N-A, there in Australia. Okay. Carry my products in, in Australia. And, and now there's a new video that, that, that they just did for me while I was in Australia that's going to be released in the next month or so here. Great. And so this is the sort of... Uh, scientific evidence plus the actual plan, if you like, for what one can do. Yeah, the second book that's going to be out here really soon um, is called Thinking, Doing, and Being a Manual for Change. Okay. um, It's based on the workshops that I do that are, you know, where I have a a whole day with people and Mm -hmm. we go through the literal steps uh, to change and what those steps are and what what the process is to begin Mm -hmm. to change the mind. So the first book is The Science of It. It gives a lot of great hints mm. to how to begin it, and the second one will be a very, very specific how-to. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, so are you coming back? I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you might be. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, because there's no doubt in my mind that this is a, a, an evolution of sort of the neuroscience and how to actually apply it. Mm-hmm. And, and neuroscience is actually... Um, validating yep. so many avenues of uh, what so many people have done in, in antiquity. Yes, the meditative practices of the Buddhists, for example, sure. the group of neuroscientists that meet with the Dalai Lama once a year. Yeah, mm. the, the Mind and Life Conference. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been fascinating talking with you. Thank you very much for giving up your time on Thanksgiving because I uh, know how precious that is in America. Easy stuff. <laughs>
<laughs> and it's wonderful to speak with you and feel that possibility. Well, thank you. It's been an honor to speak with you also. Thank you. I've been speaking to Dr. Joe Dispenza about the connection between our thinking, our mind and our body. We hope you've enjoyed the show and from all of us here at Wellbeing, we would like to say we wish you well.